0: Hello and welcome back to The Miscast, where we examine the latest news, spicy brews, and strategy in CDH. I am your host, Drake Sasser, and with me today, as always, and for the first time in a while, is Mr. Mikey Hollihan, and he's actually sitting right next to me. What's up, Mikey?
1: <laughs> Not much. Good. Uh, just landed. I'm happy to be out of the Midwest. That was awful the negative 20 degree weather with wind chill. so very pleasantly surprised when i stepped off the plane in birmingham and the temperature was only like 30 degrees
0: yeah it's much warmer if you can say that at least it's not freezing i guess exactly <laughs> i
1: was like oh cool i can take my coat off it felt great i was ecstatic yeah, yeah yeah absolutely
0: well with me today also is a special guest this is ryan better known as lime how are you today
2: I'm doing well. Uh, happy Honda Days or Toyota Toyotathon, if either of you celebrate. We celebrate Toyotathon. In this oh, house. absolutely! Yeah. <laughs> big Prius fans over
0: house. here. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I hope your I hope your holidays are well. This is the day after Christmas, is when we're recording this. I imagine it'll be posted the same day, but uh, at this point, you know, day after Christmas, it's uh, recover and clean up your house from all the presents and stuff. Time. Uh, unfortunately, I celebrated at my parents', uh, so that was um kind of more on them to clean up it's been the first time I got to kind of spend Christmas with my parents in quite a few years and uh they spoiled me they got me a big old smoker I posted about it on social media and uh hoping to smoke my meats for the first time with uh Mikey in town
2: so we'll see exactly
0: exactly what that looks like never done it before a little nervous don't know if you're a meat smoker line but I, I've never done it and I'm a little nervous
2: <laughs> no I've never ventured that far
0: no, really? It's just, just uh, do, you, do you do you do meats and stuff like that? You do like grilling and, and barbecues and all that stuff. I, I don't actually know. Uh,
2: I do grilling. Know. Um, I've cooked up some steaks during the summer. Um, big fan of uh, some cast iron skillet cooking, though.
1: Fair, fair enough. Fair Same. Fair. That that's my go-to.
0: All right, all right, all right. Well, I guess it will be a first adventure for you too, then, Mikey. But you know, <laughs> whatever. We'll do it together. It'll be it'll be an adventure. <laughs> so, well you are actually somebody that. You and Mikey go go way back, so can you hit me with a little bit about you know where where you two got involved and kind of the the early days of Mikey CDH, and, and I guess you were you were involved in a big part of that.
2: So this was actually news to me. I uh, I've been playing CDH since about 2013, um, back when I was first getting into college. Um, and I did not realize that uh, I had sort of inspired Mikey to venture into combo C D H.
1: Yeah, it was way back when I followed a lot of your deck lists, especially the Sidisi Brute Tyrant one. And then it all culminated in following you in the old Cockatrice leagues, which we would love to hear a little bit about those as well. But yeah, I just seemed like you were one of the few people at the time really pushing like efficient combo decks. I guess if you can call them efficient, I know we had to play a lot of janky <laughs> cards to make them work. But at the time, efficient it was crazy exactly it was just the fact that you're able to put like wins on the stack consistently turn two turn three it was just really cool and that really just showed me like the ceiling of what cdh could be and that just got me really heavily involved in the format and ultimately ended up picking uh Rog. i really wanted to build cdc it was just at the time acquiring that many duels and also blue cards on top of the black and green cards was a little bit too much but similar vein where it was a fast combo deck where it's just trying you know present wins and make people have it so definitely had a lot of inspiration from you and it's translated a lot to deck building for me like going forward ever since then
0: yes i mean that's really cool stuff and we've talked a little bit on this podcast before we
1: had you know our good friend bryant cook on here as
0: well to kind of talk about like the very very the the genesis of cdh if you will like kind of when when bryant said hey you know this advertising card is kind of messed up what if we just like did broken stuff with that and that spawned kind of people trying to take cdh really seriously once they kind of saw the approach that deck was taking but here in this episode we're gonna be doing like a little bit more of a different slice in time because obviously magic's been around a long time and there was a lot of cdh developments happened in the interim spaces between today which we spent a lot of our podcast talking about and uh actually talk a little bit about before we truly dive all the way in but um i expect kind of today will be would be a cool slice of just a little bit before I actually started playing CDH. I kind of pinned the time frame for me was like 2014-15 range. Um, so, you know, obviously predates me in the 2013 era a little bit. But uh, still, you know, quite a few years of CDH development had already happened uh, at the point that you were around uh, Lime. So that's, first of all, do you actually still, do you still play CDH today? Do you still do a lot of CDH? What What are you working on right now?
2: Um, I don't play C D H as much as I used to. Um, I, when I was in college, uh, I played a lot of Magic, and uh, the group that I ran with uh, was big into CEDH. Uh, one of the main people was Skulloth, uh, which is a real blast from the past. One of the biggest names in ad Nauseum Xur back in the day. Yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, that was who I played against, like every Tuesday and Friday. So that was the the metric of deck I had to build up against.
1: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, so something I'd just like to hear a little bit about, especially with tournaments on the rise, like as everyone knows, I'm involved with Eminence, trying to really get the CDH tournament circuit going. Could you tell us a little bit about some of your runs in those early Cockatrice tournaments that were run? Like how many players were there? What did the meta look like? And ultimately, how did you end up on um, Sadisi for these events? Or what other decks were you working on at the time?
2: So I started um, sort of playing more tuned EDH uh, with Gerard Golgari Lichlord, and uh, adapting the Raslyox list, um, more Blast from the Past names. <laughs> uh, and then there was a like tournament that was hosted by a fraternity at our school um, for Magic, and uh, myself, Skulloth, and actually Shaper, because uh, Shaper went to school with me. Um, we were all playing in that tournament in person. And from in the in the finals or no, it was the semifinals, uh, the semifinals of that tournament, uh, I beat Shaper to death with a stinkweed imp that he just could not deal with.
0: <laughs> in a CDH game? This is a CDH tournament? This fraternity?
2: Yeah, it was. Well, it was 1v1 EDH with multiplayer rules um, and CDH like, <laughs> hadn't really been like formally established yet, um, at least for us. But uh, from there, I was hooked on trying to really build Sidisi up as much as I could, uh, because I was trying her out over Gerard for a little bit, because I had like just I would opened a pre-release foil, so I wanted to at least give the deck a chance, and sort of really seeing how much, uh, you know, pushing the deck and eventually getting onto Hermit Druid and stuff like that could uh, could really take it quite far. The the tournaments were. If memory serves, probably around the, like, 30 to 35 people range. Um, And interestingly enough, about 10 to 12 of those went to school with me. So multiple pods, we decided to host in person rather than on Cockatrice. Um, So a
0: a lot of these names, you mentioned, you know, multiple people at this point in time that are kind of, like, by their username. Are these... Are all these people of Skoloth, like, all these people... Are these people that all went to school with you? Or are these people that are, like, a mixture of, like, tapped-out usernames? Or these, like, MTG... Like, where did these usernames come from? Where did you meet these people?
2: Um, So, I met them at school. Um, You know, Skoloth uh, went by Vega, just in terms of his name. And then, you know, I didn't even know Shaper by his username. I just knew him by his name, Ian. And then eventually connected that to oh, that's this guy. Wow. Yeah. So, so did
0: you meet online first? Like, or did like you met these people in person and then met them online? Or was, like, Shaper, you said you knew Shaper as Ian before Shaper. And so, like, you just kind of all kind of hit the online scene together kind of around the same time and built out CDH that, like, kind of started from, like, college fraternity club?
2: Yeah, well, we weren't even in the fraternity. None of us were in it. It was <laughs> oh. the, the fraternity was hosting a tournament and had prizes, so we yeah, all showed sure. up as sort of the most competitive EDH players from our club, um, thinking it's like we have a genuine chance at taking this prize.
1: Hmm. That's pretty cool. Also, just for context, uh, Shaper, he's not as active in the community these days, but he's someone who did a lot of the innovative deck building back in the day. So, for instance, when people talk about like Scepter Thrasios with Timna, that was their deck, as well as uh, Opus Thief, for people who remember that one. That was one uh, of Shaper's Opus many Thief. creations. So definitely someone who had a really big impact early on. I um, actually didn't realize that you and Shaper were were friends and went back, but that, that makes sense, because you two were two of the earlier people really pushing the format forward, especially when Tapped Out became more widely used.
2: Yeah, and most of that was just, like, everything we built was litmus-tested against Ad Nauseum zert. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was, can we wiggle around uh, a guaranteed turn three Necropotence? <laughs> True.
1: Would you say Xur was the best deck back then? I know Xur was viewed as a boogeyman for a really long time. Um, when I started really playing, Xur wasn't played as much in my playgroups, but it's something that I always heard about. And it was like, that is like the scary deck of the format right now. Uh, especially because, as you mentioned, like you just always either had the Necro turn three or at worst you were nosing like turn two.
2: Yeah. The I'd say Xur was probably the best deck in the format at the time. Um, Storm was a very strong strategy, and Xur probably did it the best. the The other contender was Jaleva, which you know was on Grixis, but you didn't have Dockside, you didn't have SWAT, you didn't really have any of these core uh, Grixis staples that you have now, and. You know, Jaleva at the time was playing clunky cards like recurring insight. You know, a six mana, you know, draw twelve. <laughs> hey, people mm-hmm. still play that card. Yeah, it's still bad, but people still play it. So, <laughs> you know,
0: that one's not even erased from history books quite yet. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. It's it's really cool because you said the time frame for this for this Zerg kind of being dominant. That was like the 2013 time frame, right? Is that what you're referring to? That like, yeah, Dio from range.
2: 2013 to like 2015, um, you know, Zer was definitely the probably like the best deck in the format, uh, up until Partners got released. Um, and the other contender in addition to Jaleva was Food Chain Prosh.
0: Yeah, I remember that, that, was that, was, that was a very dominant
2: playgroup. deck at the Yeah, matter.
0: that was the boogeyman. So we had. In my playgroup, for context, because it's interesting because it feels like you were closer to, like, the source of the tapped out explosion. But for me, I also got into CDH in the, through tapped out, and it was right after Partners were Printed. And through my time, like, leading up to actually diving into tapped out CDH lists, I heard it was difficult to parse what a CDH deck was and what it wasn't. Like, I heard a lot of things, like, about Xur being the boogeyman, but I'm sure none of those Zers were necessarily the ad nauseum Zer deck. People just, like, mentioned that Xur was a CDH commander and all
2: this stuff, but... That was back in the day before uh, they started printing, like, these fire design five-color commanders, and it it was generally accepted that the more colors you were in, the worse your physical commander was. You know, you would be playing Scion of the Ur-Dragon, where... You have five colors, but your your commander does next to nothing. And you know, there were no four color decks. And so the the trick was finding three color decks that gave you access to more colors and but did more. And so you know, stuff like Gerard was very like integral to the combo and like very linear and powerful, but it was only in two colors. And Zer, I think, really stood out because it was three colors, but had as much impact as some of the one or two color commanders of the time.
0: So when you when you were getting into these lists, right? You mentioned like you know Adnazi Doomsday Zer that was put put together by Skulloth, Which th- was this Skulloth person also with you? Did they come up with Doomsday Zer, or where did you get? Where did you guys get? CDH lists originally. I actually don't know that. Because for me, Tapped Out's where I started. And it sounds like you were there a little bit before when things began to move to Tapped Out. Where, where did like the first initial link up? Was it through Cockatrice? Was it through Tapped Out itself? Like where did you guys begin to link up and be like, all right, we need to put together some kind of resources for people to see what CDH development looks like right now?
2: Yeah. The uh, the development of our lists was uh, meeting on Tuesday nights in the cafeteria of our college. Um, you know, we, like you said, we were sort of the beginning of the tapped out explosion. So we were the ones putting our lists online and all of the like development was happening in person Interesting. and yeah. And the, you know, I remember when Doomsday Zur was, it wasn't even Zur, it was Una Queen of the Fae and it was relying on, you know, power artifact Shenanigans to make infinite mana, and then he realized that he could take the blue black core and add Xur for free necropotence and still be playing mostly the same deck.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this. We've talked a lot about the Doomsday zur list so far. We've kind of introduced it as like the boogeyman of you know CDH 10 years ago at this point. Uh, oh, what that was 10 years yeah, ago? Yeah, I mean, we're old, we got bad news for you. We're old. <laughs> Let's, let's talk a little bit about this deck list. And this, you said Skulloth, you, Skoloth has like the credit right now. I'm looking at a tapped out list that you actually sent me uh, for this list. And we can put this list in the show notes as well. Um, and I assume this is represented representative of kind of the last iteration of this deck. It looks like it hasn't been updated in four years. Um, this, this deck, as it exists now, is this something that Skoloth put together themselves, or was this a group effort from everybody, like you said, in the cafeteria? Did you all kind of chip in and be like, oh, we can do this, we can do that, we can do this, or was it kind of like each person had their own deck they were developing and, you know, this is what what Skoloth happened to come up with and spearheaded the Zur development?
2: Um, it was mostly an individual thing. Um, you know, Doomsday Zur and Fuchin Prash existed uh, as a result of their individual pilots. The first deck that was more of a collaborative effort was to DC Brood Tyrant, where you know I was kind of breaking into the format uh, to join these guys, and they had more experience. So I was asking, it's like, all right, how can I streamline this to you know, get up to where you guys are? Because at the time, this was not a viable ad nauseum deck. So there wasn't that... <laughs> <laughs> that crutch to rely on of cast ad nauseum as quickly as possible. I see, I see. Okay, so that's
0: interesting. So, but you were still there for a lot of the deck building decisions. Can you, I mean, I, like, I'm looking at a deck and, like you said, it's blast from the past. I'm seeing a lot of very old heuristics and kind of ideas with CDH. I to, to the point where I don't even see a heuristic study in this deck, and I think modern. Uh, CDH Sensibilities kind of require you to put a Ristic Study in your deck if you're in blue. That card is way better than we thought it was. And, I, I mean, I'm part of this movement, too, because even when I got in a couple years later, it was still in and out of lists. People considered it too slow, potentially, or doesn't do enough because people can just pay. Because, you know, it wasn't—everything wasn't just a flurry of spells deck. Underworld Breach wasn't as prominent, all that because it wasn't even printed yet. And uh, so, like decks and games, they looked different. They played out different, and there was a lot of ideas that, like you know, how fast the format was, and you know the the amount of spells played per turn. ristic Study was either you know do nothing at all or very powerful, so it wasn't even played. Mystic War, I think mean, I see I see one in on this list, and I think you were part of that generation that began to get the joke on that card. Like, okay, this card's messed up. But it took a lot more time for a risk study to actually catch on. And I remember the first time I put a Ristic Study in my deck and like been like, okay, I guess this card's good enough. And now, you know, I would never even remotely consider cutting it. So stuff like that. Talk me through some some deck building decisions uh, of some of these old decks. And we can start with the Xur list we've been talking about a lot that I'm that I'm looking at here through this link you sent me. What's uh where do we where do we get a bunch of these ideas from? Talk me about these deck building decisions.
2: So you know, Xur always kinda of starts with the enchantments and for a while, like, the actual only enchantment that was in Doomsday Zerb was the Necropotence. Um, and then, you know, we were discussing, and at the time, Mystic Remora was, like, less than a dollar, because it saw it only saw play in Vintage, and it was widely regarded as, like, this is the best 75 cents you can ever spend, because it's <laughs> just that good. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, you know, the the Doomsday list is it's it has the traditional Doomsday elements, but I think in terms of actual heuristics, this is mostly a high tide list. Um, you know, it's got twelve basic islands in it. Uh you know, a lot of the more common uh mana base stuff had not been printed yet. And, you know, we'll talk about that more when we get into building a ten year old uh Hermit Druid mana base, but you know, we were we were scrounging for playables in the mana base if you weren't able to be on 12 basic islands.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, and even when I was getting in, I mean, I don't know if Mikey experienced this as well, but it, it definitely was... People were still on the high tide train. Like, every deck that had blue, people would try to make high tide just, yeah, just so they, they could have another the dark They'd region. be running
1: high tide. It's like, yeah, I have two duels that are islands and then yeah. I put in four basics. That's good enough, right? And I'm just like, hmm, interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like, I just don't understand. It's like, you cannot play high tide in your six island deck it's like and people do it all the time they're like yeah after you play a few lands it's just like another dark ritual and it's like no that's that's just not how this card works at all you are going to not draw enough islands and this card is going to be blank cardboard and you know this one it's good to see you know 12 basics plus like the dual lands this is obviously a list that is respecting their their high tide considerations but thankfully in today's day and age we see High Tide very much dying off as far as that kind of value High Tide or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yeah. yeah, like you said, a lot of High Tide elements. You see the Frantic Search stuff,
1: Gush stuff. Uh, There's a Time
2: Spiral in here. Sure, yeah. Don't see much yeah, of that one anymore. Too
1: big. Dark Petition, that used to be a CDH All-Star for years. I'm kind of surprised it's not anymore.
0: That card's good.
1: Why don't people play Dark Petition anymore, Mikey? Who it's because it's five mana investment up front and the Spell Mastery can be a little bit harder to hit. Really? Um, like it's definitely not impossible to hit it. It's just now, I, I definitely say the format got faster. Like Ryan, when what, what would you say was the average turn people were winning on back when you were playing? in, like for instance, um, like the cockatrice tournaments.
2: The cockatrice tournaments probably ended on average, probably like turn four or five, which is kind of how uh, Sidisi as a hermit Druid deck was able to like really hit the ground running because hermit druid was one of at the time it was probably the most consistent turn three win because turn one uh you have you know a top deck tutor to find hermit druid turn two play hermit druid turn three win Mm -hmm. and you know as you can see in this list there's so many two mana rocks because the you know, and this was before Jeweled Lotus um, and Partners really bringing down the curve of Commanders, uh, you didn't want your uh, your commander that wasn't in green to be more than 4 mana, so that you could go turn 2, rock, turn 3, your commander. Uh, and then green realistically wanted to have a 3 mana commander, so that you could go turn 1, dork, turn 2, um, you know, Selvala. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And like, like you said, yeah, there's a ton of rocks. And I, I think that actually is something that has persisted to today's sensibilities. Like two mana rocks, uh, especially like the, the mana rocks, you're very, very good in CDH at making colorless mana. You know, when you have Soul Ring, you have Mana Crypt, you have Mana Vault, Grim all those, those pieces – you can make all that colorless mana that you're very good at making into meaningful colors thanks to these Signets
1: and these Talismans and what have you. because the Talisman cycle didn't get finished until, what, like a year or two ago?
0: Yeah, it was like the Modern Horizons
1: cycle. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, thanks Modern Horizons. Because, like, I'm looking at this Zerlis and I'm seeing a bunch of Signets and it's like, I forgot that some of those cards existed just because they just never come up anymore because we're playing... You play Arcane Signet if you want to count it, but I'm talking about the states where it's one colorless to filter mana. Yeah. Like, you just don't even see those anymore just because now we have the Talismans. Yeah, yeah I
0: have a foil Demir one and an Azores one sitting in the box. You don't even reach for him anymore because we have all the talismans finished. We have Arcane Signet. You have, like, like you mentioned, Jeweled Lotus and a whole bunch of new artifact mana that has been printed. So, like, the Signets themselves, I mean, they accomplish the same thing, but they're worse at it. But it really shows that, you know, you kind of had that part right, I would say, uh, from around mm-hmm. that time
2: frame. And it was also rough because this was, you know, you talked about the talisman cycle hadn't been finished. So many things were worse for enemy colored decks or wedge decks. You know, on Sultai, there were several cycles of lands and mana rocks and really a lot of stuff that had not been finished for enemy colors. So you got one in comparison to the two that something like Esper or Blue Black would get. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: And and while we're kind of on the topic of unprinted stuff, this is is a point I've been wanting to make on this podcast in general for, for quite some time. Uh, because it's kind of a hot topic in CDH. I don't know actually know where you stand on it right now. As as going to this podcast and going into what I'm about to say, I don't know where you stand on this line, but there is a lot of people that really hate Foss's Oracle. And for me, I think it is one of the biggest boons of this format. Because looking at this Xerlis, right, it used to be that winning the game was very difficult. It was, you know, you had to basically combo kill everybody, right? So. That involved usually some sequence of multiple cards where, you know, in this case you need to like Doomsday, Frantic Search, whatever. Then you get your Lab Maniac and then you draw a card and then you win the game. Huzzah! That's like four or five cards involved in the mix. And that's usually after you're stormed off, done some high tide things. And I'm sure Savala, I mean, has a ton of cards. The original Yggdras list and stuff that I played was a ton of cards committed to only winning the game. And now with Thassa's Oracle in the format, we have... Uh, all the decks can kind of play that as like their primary win condition th- to pair it with Tainted Pactoth and uh Tamanic Consultation. They're efficient pieces. They work on their own. You, you know, put those three cards in your deck and you have 96 other slots that you can uh, devote to just playing a good interactive game of magic with the rest of the table. So if you, you know, if active something you want, Thassa's Oracle is incredible for the format because it shores up so many deckless slots. It breaches the same way. Once again, another three-card combo. All the cards are really good on their own for the most part except freeze, but even freeze can be used to stop on top tutors. And so you don't see that back in the day. Back in the day, you used to have to like commit a ton of slots. Once people really started figuring out cdh decks, they really had to figure out how to win the game and how to you know, like you mentioned get your commander involved. And now we don't have as much of that. You can just play generically good cards. They have generically good commanders. And I think CDH games, you have less, like, spicy new interactive things. But also the format's a lot less linear because you have a lot more interaction because there's not as many slots devoted to winning the game. Do you have thoughts on Thos' Oracle?
2: Yeah. So you're you're talking about it being a less linear game. I would say it's a lot less linear in how you get there, but everyone is now arriving at the same point. Um, And for someone who, you know, I've been in love with Hermit Druid for a long time, and one of the big things was, like, well, what's your Hermit Druid reanimation target? And, you know, for a while that was Laboratory Maniac, and, uh, you know, you were playing cards like Deep Analysis to be able to draw cards from the graveyard. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, I did some work with another friend uh, at college and we realized that if you want to win from no mana post-dread return, how can you do that? And Necrotic Ooze has one of the most, like, one of the biggest untapped potentials in terms of card uh, with the expense of so many deck slots. And, you know, you're playing cards that uh, make mana without needing haste, you I, I played Thornling to be able to give my Necrotic Ooze haste off of my Wall of Roots mana, and Thornling, then
0: huh?
2: yeah, and so you you play Thornling as this five mana green beater uh, because you can give it haste, and um, eventually that got replaced by CEDH staple Blighted Bat because you could technically give it haste off of uh, a colorless mana rather than a green, and. You know, from haste, how do you win? The, the five-color decks uh, had ways to make infinite mana with Morsel Hoarder and Devoted Druid, but in Sultai, you didn't have access to red, which gave you a lot of the, the kill conditions. So it was, how can we win the game? And the cleanest, well, cleanest is very relative, but the cleanest way to do that was once your Necroticus had haste, you used uh, Lord of Lineage uh, to tap and make a bat uh, or a vampire token. And uh, you then sacrifice that token to Grimgrin Corpse Corpseborn to untap and put a counter on it. Wait, is Lord of Lineage the
0: backside of Bloodline Keeper?
2: Sorry, Bloodline Keeper. As you yeah, know, it's, okay, it's all it's right. I was, like, I was like,
0: how did you flip the Bloodline Keeper? <laughs> all right, all right, we're back in it. We're back
2: in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, you've got Bloodline Keeper uh, allowing your untapper to put plus one, plus one counters on it, and from there, now that you have infinite plus one, plus one counters, uh, you just use Triskelion. Uh, you know, because this was before Walking Ballista was printed, so you know you weren't like making infinite mana wasn't a way to win. You had to like find a way to generate infinite counters on your uh, on your Necrotic Ooze. And, you know, that was the cleanest way to win post-dread return. But think about how many yeah. bad cards that plays.
0: Right, yeah, yeah I mean, the dust Circle shows that up.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's wild. Um,
1: Sadisi I guess this is a good uh, segue to just talk about Sadisi a little bit more, but yeah, they definitely just had to play all these cards just to, like, force combos. And you can see in a lot of the other earlier combos that we saw as well, like Boonweaver Character, you had to play, like, Boonweaver Giant. Oh, yeah. Like. I don't know how many people know what that card does, but it's it's not great, but the deck had to run it because that was how you ended up killing people because you needed it. Uh, so it's just really funny looking back at some of these old lists, but uh, on the Nosa DC, as you already talked about, it, it primarily went with Necroticus. So we talked about Hermitry a little bit. What do you think, what was it about this list that was able to compete with the Zers of the time, or like Prosh, as we mentioned, was those were two prevalent decks, like what set this apart from them, or what gravitated you towards this? Uh, I know you talked about how like you pulled uh, the foil of it, but like what what kept you stuck on this deck? Like what was it that you thought this brought to the meta that the other decks didn't at the time?
2: Um, what it really brought was it was a graveyard deck that could you know there was the Boonweaver Weaver Carador, which for um, you know for historical context is basically the Protean Hulk at home, uh, <laughs> and. Sidisi was was really good at filling the graveyard. You know, this was back when I was playing like value mesmeric orb. Um, you know, and there wasn't every deck being on breach. So generally, putting cards in your opponent's graveyards wasn't as terrible of an idea. Um, and you were just able to rely on. It was a lot easier to fill your graveyard than it was to draw cards, just in terms of like the rate you can do it. You know, to tutor three cards to your hand is, I think, seven mana with like Behold the Beyond, but you can just cast a Buried Alive for three. And you know, there was enough reanimation and uh, specifically haste enabling reanimation uh, that you know you could present these wins over and over again because you know they lightning bolt your Hermit Druid. It. It's like, all right, I'm going to post mortem lunge next turn. And you could just keep using the same uh, thing over and over again until they ran out of answers. And it was it was very resilient. You know, you couldn't really get interrupted by a counterspell because you just proceeded to do the combo out of your graveyard the next turn.
1: Yeah, that, that's something I really remember from the Cockatrice League that I was following that you were in. Like, that's what really set it apart from the other decks of the time is just, you just made him have it every single turn. I thought that was some of the coolest shit I, I saw at the time. Because it was just like, alright, here's a turn two Hermitrude. Oh, you killed it? Here's a bornum Lunge. Oh, you stopped that? Cool. I also had the Reanimate in hand. You gotta deal with it again. And it was just awesome. And I think you went undefeated in that round robin or at least one of the round robins for one of these Trice tournaments. And you it, you just looked unstoppable like coming out. like No one could deal with this. you. this. didn't have enough answers at the table to deal with one deck. And like people weren't even... had time to develop their own boards. Because like, we have to keep stuff open for for Ryan make sure that he can't win.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was the there was really a separation between two different deck building types. It was the you're the person who has it and you're the person who makes them have it. And Hermit Druid was really good at you got to have it. If you don't have it for even just a second, I can win.
0: Yeah, I mean that comes from my spaces too. The 60 card formats, it's it's very big. Like make them have it is a big big term and uh questions are are, are always better than answers is a big thing too. Like you should be the one asking the questions, not providing the answers. And like that that is, I think, what makes Hermit Druid. That's a good succinct way to say you know, this is why Hermit Druid was such a standout in the the developing era of CDH. And and even even in my spaces, like, you know, very far from move removed from all the development you were doing for the most part, like Druid was like a big boogeyman. People heard about it, were like, oh, they're a Hermit Druid. We need to kill them. Or make sure we have a removal spell. Because like the idea of Hermit Druid, this, this, this play pattern of it just coming back over and over and over again, and the answers decks, the ones doing slower things, needing to have an answer over and over and over again, was, you know, just not really a winning strategy, and Hermit Druid could kill you some of the fastest and some of the most resilient uh, of, of any deck, and it didn't really matter what their commander was, so a lot of times they would just show up with some, like you mentioned, just BS, horrible commander, some unplayable, pick-your-flavor-of-five-color-unplayable thing, and mm-hmm. just Hermit Druid you with like the best reanimation spells and the best creature twos for it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's... Uh, did you guys did you guys develop Hermit Druid? Are you guys the first ones that found that, or did you see it somewhere else online? Because, I mean, Hermit Druid, I think that's really, really smart. It's a card I hadn't even seen before, because it's banned in Legacy. I, I played against the card
2: zero times until CDH and gained a lot of instant respect for it. So, Hermit Druid had existed, but it had always been in five colors. It was... A scion of the Ur dragon deck, or you know, that was realistically the best five color commander for it. But you know, most of the times they don't even really matter. And uh, it was also on a Necroticus win, but that very heavily relied on red cards. Um, and the the work that I did with uh, my friends was, from what I can tell, the first time that Hermit Druid had like cleanly been pared down to three colors. And so by being in just Sultai, I got to maintain all of the boogeyman aspects of Hermit Druid while having an actual commander.
0: Right. And I'm sure that matters a lot. I actually don't know. Is there a combo in City Brew Tyrant with C D C yourself? Like Is there an infinite combo there that I, I don't know? I've never played against the deck, and obviously you're the expert. So talk to me about, you know, obviously you cut out some colors, and colors are, were worth a lot. You know, how much was this commander worth? Obviously, it's cheaper, it's you know a better card, but did you have like a combo baked into the Sadisi as well? What, what did that look like?
2: Yeah, there were there were a couple combos that relied on Sadisi. Um there was the there was a time frame that was kind of like the summer of Food Chain, where uh Prosh and then later Tazri were kind of the only food chain decks. Uh and then people started to realize that if you set up any kind of deck that can win by casting their commander over and over again, uh, can win the game with Food Chain. And so uh, Food Chain Sidisi, you keep casting Sidisi and ETB mill three cards, um, and then you've sort of built your own Hermit Druid engine. Um, so you relied on Sidisi milling. Uh, there was also uh, using Basalt Monolith and Mesmeric Orb to create infinite untap and mill. Um, the deck was playing Vigor for a little while as a creature that would <laughs> hit the graveyard and then get shuffled back in. So you could make, with Sedicean play and the Basalt Mesmeric combo, uh, you keep milling Vigor over and over again. And so that makes infinite zombies. Uh, and from there, you can Dread Return Grave Spawn Sovereign uh, and then tap your infinite zombies. To reanimate any creature out of your graveyard. Um, and then Viscerous Seer to sack those creatures. And you basically get to loop every uh, ETB or Leaves the Battlefield trigger uh, from your entire deck forever. Um, and then Sadisi was also, ironically, like a very viable beatdown plan. Oh, yeah. You know, ton of power. <laughs> it certainly does not hold a candle to uh, Winota or uh, Najila nowadays, but, you know, the these Doomsday de- decks were playing five creatures. So, Sadisi being able to uh, basically act as like a four-mana Grave Titan uh, just really did start to put pressure on these Ad nauseum decks.
0: Yeah, I mean, that matters even today. Like you mentioned, uh, Winota, Najeela, like these are things that came up. You mentioned winning a tournament, just beating down the stink we didn't. Like I had somebody on Twitter ask me recently, like how much do I think the combat step matters in CDH? And I'm like, actually, unlike what people kind of say and think, Combat matters a ton in CDH. You know, Najeela wins through combat. Winota wins through combat. Like, combat with Chrom yeah, matters I say, a ton. I've, I've killed yeah. people
1: just Crom beats. Like, it takes a while, but sometimes these games go long, and if you hit someone who doesn't have a flyer over and over again, mm-hmm. they will die. And if they don't die, just three Crom swings? Like, because it already has hate, so you get it out, and then two more turns pass by, that's 12 damage. Like, that is a considerable amount off your Nas, off your Necro, or just pressure in general. It makes them have to act, because they keep getting yeah. hit, like, you will die.
0: Yeah. And that well, was, I mean, so yeah, a lot of well, respect for
2: Sidisi and her ability to, to poop out some attackers and beat down. Mm-hmm. And the thing was that, like, oftentimes the combat didn't matter because you killed them. The combat mattered because you forced them to try to go for it when they weren't necessarily packing as much protection for it or the ability to, you know, handle this interaction. And so, you know, you've basically put them on a two turn clock so they feel like they have to go for it and then you get them with a force of will. And then you are able to untap and win the next turn. And that's how combat mattered.
1: Yeah, I mean, we even see some of that today. Um, obviously, some win cons are a little bit more efficient mana-wise now than, like, you know, because we have Underworld Breach and, like, Oracle Consult. But, like, the decks who we are trying to focus on Nas, if they had a game plan where it's like, I'm trying to Nas turn three, turn four, but now they have a Krom hitting them every combat, there's an agila hitting them, or there's a Winota hitting them. You have to act a lot faster with that Nas, than you know, nosing at 20 is not as good as nas at 30. nas at 20 can still get there you know decks are pretty mana efficient but it's definitely not as you mentioned not as safe because you're likely not able to protect it as well because you just don't have the mana development and even if you get it off like 20 life like it nos can whiff at 30 plus life at 20 like the chances of it whiffing go even higher like it's just really f- forces people to get into situations that they don't want to be in and very underrated aspect of commander i feel people like don't even attack with their crumbs in games on. I mean. i'm like what are you doing like i'll just take the four like i'm the other grixis deck at the table like but I'm gonna pretend that you turn that sideways because you got to get in the habit of doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so important.
2: And that was also back before a lot of the like cheap, efficient, uh, you know, protection and interaction in, was printed. So you know, you're trying to cast a naws on 20 life, and then your first flip is a time spiral. You're you're really, really digging for it. <laughs> ow <laughs> take that high tide <laughs> Yeah, a
0: card, a card not good with Nas either in the flips or even post Nas just does not interact well with Nas at all and frankly it's part of part probably why we don't see it much anymore a uh, card mm-hmm. does not interact very well with Ad Nauseam
2: yeah and I was, I was playing um, Dark Confidant because uh, Sidisi was very much trying to find any kind of effect that was also on a creature because it just improved your consistency with like the zombie beatdown plan uh, so I got a uh, a dark confidant and put it in my deck, and the first flip was a dig through time. So <laughs> it's like, oh man, this hurts. <laughs>
0: Are you familiar with some vintage deck building principles in which uh, they would play dark confidant in four copies alongside a single copy of blightsteel colossus that is
2: in their deck? Yep, I've, I've heard of that, and really, yeah, greatness at any cost.
0: Yeah, exactly, really living up to probably the best flavor text ever written of greatness at any cost, Dark Confidant, emblematic of that. And honestly, when I was getting into CDH, like, turn one Dark Confidant was like, whoa, we got a keepable hand here, Are you kidding me? Land, Chromebox, Dark Confidant, beat that, nerd. Like, these, these cards that got turn over turn equity were a lot better before winning the game was compact and easy. And so, you know, mm-hmm. you see that with Dark Confidant. You see that with Sylvan Library, which I, uh, I guess, infamously at this point wrote an article about. Yeah,
1: both of us just not, not fans of the card anymore. But no, no. People, people, not people were not happy that with that with take, but, you know, I'll, I'll still buy it. <laughs>
0: it's it's horrible. The card is so bad. It is hilariously bad. But, I mean, once again, the sensibilities were just very, very different uh, back then. And even though, even though... Things have changed. Like, you keep bringing up all the new interaction that's been printed, which you're right. I mean, the the, the caliber of card they've printed over the last, you know, whatever, five years. Even just the last two insane. years. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. And so CDH has just seen a huge upheaval in what decklists look like, what decklists are looking to do, and, I mean, even what colors are playable. You know, you're bringing up a lot of different decks and, like, how green had so much staying power because, you know, the mana creatures... You had access to mana earlier because there wasn't as many good two-mana rocks, and, like, that matters. Like, and we've seen a huge shift from the blue-black core that has always been the best colors to be playing in Magic, you know, since literally Alpha, into, uh, and then having some some support colors being things like green and white via both Zur and Sidisi. We see mostly, predominantly red now because of things like SWAT. We see it because of things like Underworld Breach. Dockside. And Dockside, yeah. I mean, just these messed up cards they printed, um, but a lot of the deck building principles, I think, have more or less held up. I mean, you, you found you found Mystic Remora, that card's messed up. You found that, you know, trying to make your commander not be blank cardboard is very important. That wasn't understood. Like, it's common, common sense now. Like, these days, you would not put blank cardboard in the command zone. But, like, that wasn't always the case, like, in, in, in history. And, like, we have these experiences to point to, we have your accounts and things like that and, and resources like the podcast show we're, we're taping now to point to and be like, yeah, we've tried this. We've been through this. We've iterated past this. We we know this now and we don't need to ever do that development again. And I mean, I think that's meaningful. I think that's how you can talk about magic successfully and say, hey, we've explored this area and, and that's meaningful. And so uh, another point I kind of want to make and, and ask you guys about because you know, you were a competitive player. You mentioned playing a lot of, of competitive magic in college. Did you ever play like sixty card standard, modern, like?
2: Not really. I uh when I was in college, which is where I sort of like started actually playing magic, um EDH was by far the biggest format. Um, you know, it was a bunch of broke college kids, and this was this was really before the, the proxy discussion had really taken hold. So everybody by and large owned all their cards. Um and then uh, the I, I did play a little bit of Legacy uh, after graduating, just because I was leaving a big, uh, big group of competitive EDH, and uh, I definitely, uh, you know, should not have. I, I wouldn't say can't, because I did, but uh, I should not have been playing Sidisi at uh, my local store back home, just in terms of, like, power level discrepancy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the big complaints, right, with, like, the, the casual crowd uh, against CDH is, like, people come and they play their – in leagues that usually have prizes. So, like, you know, the argument breaks down a lot for me when there's prizes on the line. But, uh, you know, in these leagues with prizes that you play at your local game store, people show up with decks that are trying and people are mad about it. Like, I, I don't know. I Depending on the exact specifics, I think it's very much a case-by-case basis. But there is a lot of disdain from the casual EDH crowd for the people that would, would show up. And I, I'm guilty of this too. I've done it before in a league with prizes, uh, showed up with a a CDH deck and just seemed like, okay, like, you know, I'm a competitive player. I got my start in competitive 60 card, you know, tournament magic. Like, let's go see what the CDH like tournament scene looks like. And it's not a tournament scene at all. (laughs) Yeah. Commander leagues are not that,
2: you know, before I was, uh, more socially well-adjusted. Shout-out to my girlfriend for really pointing out some flaws in how I was (laughs) conducting myself. Uh, I love that for you. Yeah. Um, I was... uh, I I learned from one of the people at my local game store that every single week, somebody came up to him and accused me of cheating. They said, you know, he's got Hermit Druid every single time, like, he's gotta be stacking his deck. and, you know, they'd look through my deck, and it's like, nope, this is just tutors and consistency. Like, this is a different caliber of deck, but, like, it's not cheating.
0: It feels like cheating when you're playing it against, like, not competitive
1: <laughs> decks. You're like, holy cow. Yeah, like, it's like some pre-cons, it's like, how do they do that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> how do they have it every time? I don't know, have you read the card Demonic Tutor? That's pretty good at making it happen every single time. Yeah. I
2: mean, even against, like, just Derevi stacks of, uh, you know, because that was another deck at the time, because this was... Back when we were still doing partial Paris mulligans. Oh yeah. Um you know, and you could sculpt the stacks hand of whatever you needed. Um, it's like, all right, we've got <laughs> we've got Ryan under a lock. He's there's a rest in peace, like he can't do any Hermit Drun. It's like, all right, Lab Man, uh Tainted Pact, draw my deck, uh, win. It's like God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Alternate win conditions, that's cheating. <laughs> yeah, I mean Sidisi was like the first like layered combo deck. Um you know, it it played a lot of uh, a lot of synergistic win conditions that all like accomplished the same thing. But you know, there were multiple ways to mill your whole deck out.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's smart. It's just good deck building, right? It's like good deck building fundamentals. So, so you didn't you didn't look at any sixty card um, tournament stuff? Did you ever look at any of like the articles for deck building? Because like I, I noticed you guys came up with like you know obviously. Very particular compositions as far as, you know, how many lands do you want? How many artifacts, you know, mana sources do you want? And that's something that's still, I think, debated a lot in the circles I play in today in CDH. Is like, what should land counts look like? What should, you know, your artifact mana suite look like? You know, are mana dorks something you should be reaching for? And I do rely on some of, like, the the content and the heuristics I've consumed from, um, like, 1v1 Magic. Uh, to make some decisions about that stuff. But you guys you guys are kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Did you look at anything at all, or was it just literally trial and error as far as land counts and artifact mana and what have you?
2: Um, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, the uh, One of the, the few articles that I did look at, because there weren't necessarily a lot of as generic articles to apply, um, but one of the big ones that I looked at was how many blue cards does it take to support Force of Will in your deck? Oh, yeah. Big complaint of mine. I love, I want to hear this. Um, And, you know, looking through uh, some of the old CDC deck lists, because it was built off of Gerard, Golgari, Lichlord, it was at its core a green black deck that just had some blue in it. And, you know, you never want to be casting uh, Force of Will for its mana cost. (laughs) Yeah. And I started to get to the point where it's like there were times where I just didn't have an extra blue card, or the blue card in my hand was Laboratory Maniac. Uh, which I definitely could not get rid of. Uh, you know the the deck tech that I did with the Lab Maniacs. Like we went through one of the worst hands in CEDH history, where it's uh, I have like no castable cards, and my cheapest uh, thing is like five mana. Um, but a lot of those things weren't actually blue cards in the deck, and so I had to like sit down and do that math to see. Like, how consistently am I going to have a card that I'm willing to pitch to Force of Will?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's something that gets considered a lot in legacy decks, at least it's something I was always doing when I was, like, you know, considering just even sideboarding for matchups, you needed to be respectful of your blue card counts for Force of Wills, or you needed to start looking at trimming on Force of Wills and stuff. Is You know, that gets talked about all the time in 60-card spaces, whereas, like, I don't see really any discussion for it at all. And CDH. I think part of that in modern-day sensibilities is the cards like Ristic and Mystic Remora, where, like, when you really want your Force of Will, you have, like, 30 cards in hand, so you'll find a blue card, even if your blue card count is disrespectful to Force of Will. But, you know, I I do still think it's not talked about enough, is blue card counts and stuff like that. And those are the (laughs) kinds of things—I'm glad you brought that up. That's exactly kind of what I was, like, looking for and listening for, is, like, these things that uh, CDH gets compared to uh, 1v1 formats a lot— And basically, you know, both sides really don't want anything to do with each other. A lot of the 60-card grinders are like, what is CDH? Get this out of my face. Get this casual nonsense out of here. And then CDH players are all like, CDH is completely different. It's not 60-card magic at all. Nothing applies. It's completely different. And, like, I think both sides are wrong. I think both formats, you know, both 1v1 magic and multiplayer magic is awesome. There are some big differences. But you can pull a lot from both spaces for deck-building fundamentals. And, um... Mm -hmm. You know, it, I, I think Force of Will, it, blue card count, is something that, that gets brought up
2: uh,
0: a lot in 60-card that should be brought up more in EDH, and I'm, I'm really, really glad you brought that up.
2: Uh, yeah. The other, uh, like, sideboarding heuristic that I adopted from 60-card formats was, um, you know, at the time, the biggest problem to Hermit Druid wasn't necessarily uh, the... The, you know, the swan song on your Dread Return. It was, okay, they've put a Graf Digger's Cage or a Rest in Peace or, like, it was more permanent-based hate, and so uh, Sidisi played a disproportionate amount of, like, naturalized effects. You know, I was on Nature's Claim, Natural State, uh, was on both Caustic Caterpillar and Reclamation Sage for a while. Because I just I needed so many copies of that effect because that was usually what was stopping me from going off. Yeah. Also,
1: at the time, Isochron Scepter was one of like the bread and butter combos that too. So, like, just having answers to artifacts used to matter so much more. And you know, like, um, this is yeah. a little bit like after the time period we talking, but like Blood Pod, Watana, and Timna, like having the Null Rod effects and everything. It, I just think it's really funny, like when you look back, how enchantment and artifact removal used to be so important and now it's like you see people play a nature's claim or naturalize and it's like what are you doing get this out like just, just run ottawa what years whatever. yeah have you
0: read besides you what year yeah like, exactly
1: <laughs> it's really cool just to see like or i i think it's cool like, it, it's one of those things that depends uh like when we were dming ryan where it's just like yeah oracle really streamlined things and i think you said something along the lines of um streamline robbed creative diversity
2: you know it's the same thing <laughs> yeah especially as someone who is trying to find these like absurdly complicated necrotic ooze lines. It's like, all right, well, we've, you know, by switching out for these terrible creatures, for these terrible creatures, we're able to, you know, do it under these circumstances differently. And it's like, oh, well, I just put Thoracle into play. And even if they kill it, I still win the game. Beautiful. I love
0: it. See, it's it's a big difference between you and me. And frankly, I found it's a big difference between me and a lot of the CDH, like, community at large is uh, where you decide that you want to put in the work. A lot of people want to put in the work at the deck building table, whereas I want to put in the work at the game table. You know, I, I want to do more more work in game, more you know, dodging around interaction and like gameplay mechanics stuff and less work building the deck because I'm a lot worse at building decks. Whereas, you know, you're somebody that from what it sounds like, from what I'm listening to, I obviously don't know you that well personally. Uh, but, you know, it sounds like you enjoy a lot of these little challenges with deck building and building your deck and getting a lot of points in the deck building construction phase uh, that, that contribute to wins in match. Like, that that is where you want to get a lot of your equity, and that's just, I, I don't know. Uh, coming yeah. from 60-card formats, I can just copy-paste the list from Goldfish, make a couple changes, then it's good to go. That's what I like. I want I want to show up and play type magic, whereas building decks, I'll leave that to the smarter people. No thanks. <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, and, and, that, and that is a complaint about Thassa's Oracle that I, I do respect a lot. Is, you know... Th- it just doesn't really get framed this way. It's a lot of just, like, basic complaining. And I, I do really appreciate kind of talking about this a little bit as we move towards the end of the show. Is, you know... I, I think it's important to talk about this kind of stuff because deck building isn't stressed as much right now in CEDH as it has been in the past. And it, it, it comes and goes... Having been around in a lot of different formats for a long time, as both you and I have been, um, you know, there are times where formats you know, a banning happens or a new set of busted cards get printed, and there is this uh, brewer's paradise that comes about where you know there's a lot, a lot of emphasis on deck building, and that is one of my least favorite times to play Magic. And that is a, a good time for a lot of other people to play Magic. And that is what makes Magic great is that that kind of stuff comes and goes. And right now in CDH with the win cons being very easily fleshed out and deck building kind of coming to a head. And there's a lot more discussion around actually playing matches and optimizing all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit more my speed and the kinds of things that I've been interacting with. Uh, I definitely uh, sympathize with the complaints about Thoracle kind of stymieing some of the uh, equity that you can get in match with, with the deck building table and the deck building skills.
2: Yeah. And I think I can like point to exactly when the shift from being more deck building focused to being more gameplay focused happened is the fact that you know i talked about we we weren't like looking at lists uh, because the the decklist database didn't exist at this point mm-hmm. you know the the lab maniacs reddit conglomerate didn't even exist like those those resources for finding the the lists to copy and paste weren't there so there had to be this bigger emphasis on deck building
0: yeah. And that's something I've complained about, you know, at this point, ad nauseum, no pun intended, uh, in the CDH space is centralized tournament deck lists. Like now we have so many, you know, you mentioned just doing like a little fraternity tournament. Now we have tournaments all the time. Mikey heavily involved in that with Eminence, uh, playing with power. The the group that I'm a part of has been collaborating with them to host online tournaments, you know, which is kind of, you know, really, really being fleshed out in in this year and going to be really really doubled down on next year there's so many tournaments now and now we have access to so many deck lists similarly to like we do in 60 card formats and getting those in people's hands getting those you know available to people is going to help a lot to make people understand what cdh is and does do some amount now i think the the effect is overblown but does do some amount to reduce creativity because people aren't having to come up with it all on their own but at the same time the decks are going to be better the format's going to be what better defined and I think it's going to be a win overall for cdh it's a big thing that I'm pushing for with the Mox Masters series uh, mm-hmm. that, that we've put together and you know as as someone someone like you that is newer to the format I I I ask you you say you don't play a lot of cdh much I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's be probably because of you know the nature of the format today and cards that have had a huge impact on cdh so what would it take for you to come back? Would you like to see Thorical Breach banned? Or, you know, would it just be, like, New Cool Commander that really resonates with you? Does Sidisi need to be the top dog? What would it take for you to come
2: back and and jam CDH and get back in the trenches with your old college buddies? Well, um, you know, there was definitely a time where the answer would have been, uh, you know, stuff needs to happen where Sidisi needs to be the top dog again, but uh, I you know, as a person, have been able to, like, let go of the need for that to be important to me. Um, and I think it really just comes down to, like, there needs to be, like, local people, because the, you know, I played a lot on Trice um, and online, and it wasn't really the same. Like, I, I think I realistically need CEDH in person uh, to be relatively big where I am, in order to, like, be back in it as much as I was back in college.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the whole nature of it being four-player format versus 1v1. Um, like, Drake and I, were two people, we play a lot of webcam, but both of us will say, like, we kind of hate it. It's just kind of a necessary evil, because that's where <laughs> we're able to find games, but we're definitely people who need to be playing Magic in person. Like, I, I would rather play in person for one hour than webcam for a week straight, like, absolutely.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. definitely resonate with that it's always going to be the gathering that makes magic great there's been a lot of sentiments about that as magic has taken somewhat controversial turns here and there and uh you know overall I, i think i definitely agree with you i think i only got into cdh because i could play it personally you know with the people around me it sounds like that's what happened for you as well and the webcam stuff is actually how i met mikey and i think me and mikey uh our friendship is probably one of the bigger success stories i've seen of you know, webcam cdh
1: and discords and stuff yeah, like that the which pandemic is, brought us together yeah overall we, we a pretty were, bad
0: system <laughs> but we may do we
1: yeah may do. <laughs> we both were fiends for magic and we stumbled across each other in a server and now here we are yeah
0: played, <laughs> played a lot of webcam magic with each other and now do a lot of playing in person magic which is definitely on our agenda to do later today so i ask you lime if people want to find you, do you still do you still create any magic content? Do you interact with the, the community at all? Do you want people to find you and talk magic with you? If not, you can say no and like, yeah, whatever, I'll cut this out. We'll figure it out. But do you want people to find you? If so, where can they find you?
2: Um, they can find me on the CDC Brood Tyrant CEDH Discord. Um, you know, I don't make YouTube content. Um, I don't really enter into tournaments. Uh, so you know discord is kind of like the only place that like i maintain that um and i'm always happy to talk about cdc like i've put so much into this deck um and you know with with 10000 hours you can be good at anything and that was definitely cdc for me
0: <laughs> extremely reasonable i i definitely i definitely feel that and that's part of the cool part of cdh is once you find a an archetype or a deck that you can really click with you can put a lot of yourself into it and as long as you can separate the deck from your own personal identity and magic it can be a really really cool bond to happen with between a uh, a player and magic so i'm really i'm really, really stoked for you that you have that and so DC Brew <laughs> retired i'll get that link from you and i'll post that in the show notes so if you want to interact with our friend lime here you can find them in that discord check the link below in the show notes and we will get you added to that and you can talk you can talk about the good old days and hey my personal opinion I think Hermit Druid is underrepresented in modern day magic. We've seen some people succeed with it a little bit in modern day magic, and I I think it's still an extremely powerful card, extremely powerful strategy, and who knows, maybe there's still some room to brew and break it open.
1: But yeah. I haven't seen it done yet. I definitely agree with that sentiment, especially now that there's dread return, obviously, and Savine's Reclamation. Yeah. Like I feel like it's something that people should tap into and who knows, maybe uh if you we talked to Ryan a little bit more in the TDC server. We can try to find ways to break it because I think the card is still very efficient, as we talked about earlier, with just reanimation effect on reanimation effect on reanimation. Like, it, it you can't have they can't have the answers every single time, and it's just one of those really great um, force them to have it. And,
0: and people still don't play removal spells, so too. You're, gonna, yeah. you're gonna get away with it. You yeah. know, as long my, my pyroblast
2: and my hydroblast <laughs> don't hit it. Yeah, what am I supposed, what to, do? supposed to do? This <laughs> is not blue or red. What gives? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, if Thoracle ever gets banned, and uh, the community at large needs to look for some, let's let's just some weird Dread Return targets. I've I've put a lot of work into some weird. Dread <laughs> 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 the Dread
0: Return expert here. You heard it here first. Uh, I believe you. I, as someone that has put among the minimal amount of effort necessary to both understand Dread Return and have played with it a little bit, I uh, I definitely commend you because it's not a task I would have ever done. Is figure out things to Dread Return. All right, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for being here online. Mikey Hollihan, if people want to find you, people want to interact with you, we've been kind of ghosts recently with the Miscast. It's our first episode in a month, two months, something like that. We've been busy, busy bees. Where can they find you? Where can they interact with you?
1: Uh, you can find me on the Eminence discords um, as well as the Mox Masters discord. Obviously, I'm pretty active there as one of the TOs involved with everything. Uh, the Eminence Twitter is a good way to find me, the Miscast Twitter. And as always, he was very upset that I didn't mention him the last episode we recorded. You can hit up my secretary, Hal, at Hellenium. Great person. He'll get in touch with me. And uh, yeah, down to talk about all types of stuff. And it was really nice being able to link up with Lime. We never interacted in the past, but definitely was heavily influenced by them. Thanks for coming on the show. And I just love talking about CDH history. Like a lot of people forget all the building blocks that brought us to the point we're at, as uh, Ryan mentioned, with all the different necrotic ooze lines and all this other stuff like really trying to figure out these ratios and that's something that i really like talking about and i think it's missed on a lot of people because a lot of people will tell you oh yeah flash was a toxic card but in reality a lot of the people that played with flash were like yeah no, those were pretty good games at least before oracle came out so this is cool getting those different perspectives and looking at the glory days and how far we've come since then
2: mm-hmm.
0: well i definitely agree with you as someone that was also somewhat around during the glory days not as much flash I have a big hole in my game around that time, but definitely during the Boonweaver Weaver food chain, especially the food chain era. Yeah, food chain, food chain, chain was huge. Food now chain and hermager like... were the, the nutter butters back in the day. <laughs> and uh, it's cool to kind of relive some of that. Uh, this has been a really, really awesome talk. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at viral underscore Drake. Uh, you can also find me on Moxfield, viral Drake, no underscore, uh, spelled just like the magic card. And you can, of course, find me in the Playing of Power Discord. I am a member of Playing With Power I do uh, commentary on events, our Master series. So if you're interested in playing some CDH tournaments, check out the Master series. You can find the link to that uh, in our Discord as well. You can always ask around or, you know, I think you can ask Eminence. They're involved in our tournament series as well. But there is there's tournaments run by Playing in Power Now if you want to check those out. They're really, really good events. Mikey and I have put a lot of time, energy, and effort into making those happen. So one of the best ways you can support me, the Miscast, and everything else is to play in those and talk about how great they are. Actually, please tell me if they're bad. Uh, I I need to know how to improve.
1: We're very receptive to feedback.
0: (laughs) Very receptive. (laughs) And we have made quite a few changes. So
1: 2023 is going to be a really
0: sweet year. Uh, Lime, thank you so much for being on here to talk about your passion project and some of the work you've done for CEDH. It was a pleasure meeting you and getting to talk to you with Mike. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And we will check you all, all of our lovely listeners that have stuck with us despite our very inconsistent schedule. We will talk to you all next time. Thank you for listening.